And one of my favorite promises is what Jesus said to his disciples, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. You see, he said, I'm going to leave, but I'm going to pour my spirit into your heart so that you will not be alone. And as you give yourself to whatever I call you to do, then I will give you what you need. Just ask me and I will do it. And to that promise, what do you say? Yes and amen. That is really one of the greatest promises that we have been given. And so, Father, I want to ask now, as we have worshiped you in spirit and in truth, and as we open the scriptures now, I ask that you would be our teacher, that the word of God would speak to our hearts, that you would graciously open up our eyes, that those who would be here this morning who are not yet in relationship with you, who do not know you, would you open their eyes that they would be born again to walk in newness of life? For those who would know you, who are your children, who have been born again, I pray that you would teach us so that we would grow into the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of your Son and our Savior. And it's in his name that we ask it. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. So you may have noticed that here in the South, we have a, a much smaller worship band than we normally do. Not smaller worship, but a smaller worship band. If you're over in North, uh, which is where I worshiped this morning, it's 100% video. So why have we done that? Why all video over in North and why only two instrumentalists here in South for this reason. Maybe you don't appreciate or understand. We have a phenomenal group of volunteers who week in and week out come show up early on Thursday practice, lead Thursday night, show up here on Sunday morning at seven o'clock and then lead eight o'clock and 9.30 and 11. And they do it so faithfully. And I appreciate Matt said, I just want to give our volunteers a break. And Ben said, for our AV team, I just want to give them a break. And so all of our volunteers have been given off last, last week, and, excuse me, this week and next week, uh, not so they can just sit, but so that they can come, but engage without the weight of leading. And so uh, I, I am really grateful. It's as much as I appreciate what they do, it's really a small price for us to pay to be able to give them the freedom of worshiping, engaging without the responsibility of leading. So here's my hope. My hope is that in two weeks when our volunteers serve again, that you would be especially thoughtful to express your appreciation for them because they are a tremendous gift to this body. So I hope you'll do that in two weeks when we get together. Yes. So speaking of worship, let me ask you a question. How many of you, was it your traditional practice growing up as a kid that you went to church on Sunday mornings? All right, here and over, keep your hand up. If that was your tradition, how many of you, was it your tradition that then you often then took a nap Sunday afternoons or that no work was allowed? Okay, some of your hands are still up. How many of you then went to church again Sunday night? 
Okay, some hands back up. You can put them down. That was my experience growing up. We went to church Sunday morning, then we came home and we took a nap all afternoon. We didn't. We were required to be quiet so my parents could take a nap. And then they would get up just in time to have a quick dinner and we'd be off to church again. And then I went to Bible college and at Bible college, the rule was we weren't allowed to work on Sunday either. In fact, we weren't allowed to do homework on Sunday. No homework from midnight Saturday night to midnight Sunday night. No homework. You couldn't play. I couldn't play tennis. I could take a walk, but I couldn't walk so fast that I was actually running because you weren't allowed to play. In fact, to discourage that sort of thing, we weren't even allowed to wear shorts on Sunday. Now, you look back, you go, that sounds crazy. Does that not sound crazy? You imagine being in college and you can't wear shorts on Sunday? Uh, that was simply a carryover from what we're going to look at this morning. In Mark chapter 2, we're going to look at Jesus encountering religious practices specifically as they relate to the Sabbath day. Now, let me give you some context. For a Jewish person, the Sabbath, very clearly, Saturday. But then when Jesus came and was crucified, buried, and raised on Sunday, the church, those who were then Christ followers, began to practice Sabbath practices, but then on Sunday in memory and in celebration of the resurrection of Jesus. But in the transition, and even to this day, there are many things that we do and don't do on a Sunday that go way back to what Jesus encounters even here in Mark chapter 2. So this is going to be a fascinating study for us. Before we launch into the specific of the Sabbath, let me remind you that this is a subset among Jesus encountering religious traditional practices as he was experiencing individuals in his day. Last week, we looked at him encountering religious practices when folks came to him and said, hey, we want to know why your disciples don't practice fasting like John's disciples do and like the Pharisees do. Why aren't you doing that? And Jesus answered with three don'ts and a do. And the final one, which I think is the clearest to us, is in Mark chapter 2, verse 22. So this is a pickup from last week, but it's important as we lead into the specific of the Sabbath tradition that we're going to look at this morning. So if you have a Bible, Mark chapter 2, verse 22, here's what Jesus said in response. Why aren't they practicing our religious traditions? He said, no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Now, we don't relate to that because we have bottles, but they didn't have bottles. They had wineskins. And he's going, you don't put new wine in old wineskins because if you do, the wine's going to burst the skins. The old skins had already been stretched. You put new wine in it. As it expands, it's going to burst. And what's going to result? You're going to lose the wine and the skins. So that would have been a perfect example because of their cultural experience. What do you do? If you don't put new wine into old wineskins, what do you do? He tells them. They knew it, but we have to learn it. He says, you put new wine into 
fresh wineskins. And you go, well, what does that have to do with religious practices? And here it is, and we'll see it again this morning. Jesus is telling them, you have old practices that are like old wineskins, but I am new wine. And therefore, because I am new wine, the old practices will not, cannot contain me. In fact, if you try to contain me, the new wine in your old practices, here's what's going to happen. You're going to miss me, That's, you're going to lose the wine, and the old practices are going to be burst. It's, it's going to be lost in how significant they once were. He is not putting down old practices. He's simply saying they don't fit current realities. And so we talked about tithing last week, and we talked about the sanctuary of God, not in a building, but our body, and not a select priesthood, but all believers being a priest. There's a fourth now tradition that he addresses. Next verse, Mark chapter 2, 23. What's it mean that Jesus is the new wine? Verse 23. And it happened that he, Jesus, was passing through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples began to make their way along while picking the heads of grain. You know what? It just taking the heads of grain and rubbing them, maybe one hand, two hand like that, so that you're getting the shells off and then you're popping the grain in your mouth. Like you might take after you've popped your popcorn and there's some still left in the bottom of the bag that didn't pop and you go, oh, I gotta keep trying. And you, then you eat those. They're eating the grain as they walk through the grain field. But here's what happens. The Pharisees are seeing this and they say to Jesus, look, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath, they consider this, the picking of the grain on the Sabbath, as wrong, illegal, breaking the law. And so they are exposing there are practices, things that you're allowed to do on the Sabbath and things you're not allowed to do. They were doing unlawful things on the Sabbath. Before we look at Jesus' answer, let's talk about, well, why would they consider that unlawful? The Sabbath is the fourth of the Ten Commandments. You're probably familiar with, God gave the Israelites Ten Commandments. They're recorded in Exodus chapter 20. Four of them deal with vertical relationship with God. The next six deal with horizontal relationship with people. The fourth of the Ten Commandments says this. This is from Exodus 20. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Here's how. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall, do, you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. Here's why. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So, the Sabbath is the fourth of the Ten Commandments and is intended to be a day of no work. And it was intended to be a day of no work for this reason. 
that it was following the pattern that had been set in creation. All right, so that's the Old Testament understanding of the Sabbath, a day of not work based on what God did in creation. Now, they come along, and what do they ask Jesus? What's the question? Why are they doing, verse 24, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And what had they been doing, verse 23? What was unlawful that they were doing? They were picking heads of grain and eating them. And Jesus is going to answer this question. He gives four answers. First, he says in verse 25, he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and he and his companions became hungry? Now, it would be easy to read right by this part. Have you never read what David did? But do you understand, when he said that to the Pharisees, that would have been a slap in the face to the Pharisees. Because what, what did they do all the time? They read the scriptures. They were experts in the law. To say to them, have you never read what David did, would be like me saying to Matt after finishing leading us in worship, Matt, have you never played a guitar? Uh, uh, actually, if you met Tom Brady, have you never played or seen a football game? That's my life. We miss it, but when he says to people who were experts on the law, have you never read, he is slapping them in the face. Why? Because he wants, and we'll see why in a moment, he wants to make a crucial distinction between what the Old Testament requires versus what rabbinical tradition has added. There's a big difference. What did they consider unlawful that they were doing? Verse 23, picking the heads of grain. So obviously the law said that is unlawful on the Sabbath. Did the law say that? The rabbinical law said that, but not the Old Testament law. So is doing this with a head of grain as you walk and popping it in your mouth, is that work? Come on, folks. Is that work? Well, I mean, maybe if you ask my kids, they'd go, yeah, that's, that's, that's work. It's funny how they have a different definition of work than what I have a definition of work. The Pharisees and the rabbinical traditions had set a description of work that was just absolutely outrageous because work is actually a fuzzy thing. Are they harvesting? Well, yeah, a few grains, but are they really harvesting? Do you know that they had decided how many steps you could take before you were working? 
So you could take X number of steps and you were fine, but if you took one more step, now you're working and breaking the Sabbath. You know, that's absurd. No, actually, when I was in Bible college, you could walk, but you couldn't run. You could wear long pants, but you couldn't wear short pants. Now, were they saying that was part of the law of the Old Testament? No, they weren't. But the Pharisees were saying, by doing this, they are breaking the law. But here's the law. Look up here if you would. If this is the law, this much of the law was Old Testament. The rest of it was rabbinical tradition. Picking grains of head, uh, grains of head, heads of grain. <laughs> don't pick a head of grain, a, a grain of head. I can't even, I don't even know which one's right anymore. A head of grain. Is that the right one, John? Okay, thank you. <laughs> to pick a head of grain, I literally got so confused second hours off. To pick a head of grain was breaking this law, but not this law. So when Jesus says to him, hey, have you never read what David did? What's he reminding them of? What's he taking them to? This or this? He's taking them back to the scriptures. That is not insignificant because Jesus is saying to them and to us now that disciples of Jesus, disciples of Jesus then, disciples of Jesus now, are not bound by man-made regulations that have been added to keeping the Sabbath. We're not bound by them. We get added to all the time. And Jesus said, nope, not bound by those things. That's the first argument. There's this law, your law, and there's God's law. And have you not read this? I'm not acknowledging this. I'm talking about this. And when we're talking about this, have you not read this? And he goes on more specifically. Verse 26, how he, David, how David entered the house of God in the time of Abathar the high priest and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priest. And who ate it? Yet not only David, and he also gave it to those who were with him. So were they breaking the Old Testament Sabbath law? Yes, that was, they ate food that was intended only for the priest. So is his argument, if David does something, it's okay? Seems to be his argument, right? The problem with that is, well, David committed adultery as well. And David had a good loyal man assassinated. So if you want David as your example, you can get away with a lot. So actually, the point is not David's example. Watch this, don't miss it. The point is God's response to what David did. When David committed adultery and when David had a man assassinated, God admonished him. But when David ate the consecrated bread in a time of emergency, 
Have you never read? Here's the shot. Have you never read? But that's what David did and God, God, God didn't say boo about it. He didn't admonish him. Why not? Here's why. Because Jesus reminds them that God made exceptions to the Sabbath law in times of necessity slash emergency and for service to the Lord. God made exceptions. In fact, Jesus gives this example later. He says, if your ox is in a ditch and it's the Sabbath, are you really going to wait till the next day to get him out of the ditch? No, no, that's absurd. If your ox is in the ditch on the Sabbath, get him out of the Sabbath. It's an emergency. And the priest served. God made exception for them. I think it's funny to think back that, that we rested on the Sabbath, but the guy who was preaching on Sunday morning, he probably wasn't resting on Sunday afternoon. You know why? Because he was getting ready for Sunday night. So he wasn't resting because there's exceptions for the priest serving. So here's the law. Jesus says, the rabbinical tradition my disciples aren't bound by that. That then, not now. In the Old Testament law, don't miss the fact that even in that situation, God made exceptions when there was emergency or necessity or service. Third answer. And now he gets to pass the letter of law to the spirit of the law. He says in verse 27, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Understand what he's saying? When God intended to give a man who was working six days a day of rest, what was he attempting to give him? A a gift, right? Something that he could look forward to and appreciate. But they had put now so many restrictions on it that a man could not enjoy the Sabbath. He lived in constant fear that he was going to break the Sabbath. Sabbath had been given for man, but now they had turned it into that man served the Sabbath. It was robbing them of its original intent. God had given it as a gift to enjoy, but they weren't enjoying it. It had become a burden to bear. Again, then, and we can do the same thing now. So when I'm at Bible college and you can't do homework on Sunday, but you have a big project due on Monday, what do you do? Here's what guys would do. They would set their alarm for midnight Sunday night. They'd sleep all day Sunday, then get up at midnight and work all through the night and then be too wiped out to go to class on Monday, but they had kept the Sabbath, right? Well, yes and no. They had taken what was intended to be a gift, a gift to have a day off, and had turned it into a burden. And we have just a tremendous capacity to do that. To take gifts of God and begin to think of them as burdens. You want an example? Do you think children are a, a gift from God? Six of them? 
Well, lots of people don't. Lots of people are like, how are you going to pay for all that? There's two, two, there's two to replace two. That was people's favorite line for Jahan. It's still only right. Two to replace two. Or right here. How are you going to, literally, how are you going to pay for all their college? In other words, you should stop having blessings because of the burden that's coming. Right? Now, are kids expensive? Yes, they are. They are expensive. But I would liken it to this. If I'm going on a hike in a desert, is a water bottle weight or a burden? It's a weight. It's not a burden. That's what kids are. Kids are a weight, never a burden. They are a blessing from the Lord. But increasingly, we tend to take what God says is a blessing and we flip it on and we see it from our perspective and go, oh, that's a burden. We do it with prayer. Prayer is one of the greatest blessings that God gave to us. That's why I read the promise at the beginning. One of the greatest blessings. But when people talk about prayer, you know what they're usually talking about? Oh, I know, I know I should pray more. I need to get up early. I'm just so tired. And then I try to pray at night and I fall asleep in my prayer. I just feel so badly. I know I should pray more. What? What? Because God needs you to pray more? He gave to you and I prayer as a blessing of communication. And we've turned it into this burden, this duty, that obligation that we have to fulfill. That doesn't make any sense. And then we've done it with the Sabbath. So I loved the fact that as a kid, I didn't have to work on Sunday. There was no mowing of the lawn, no washing of the car, no projects on Sunday. But did I enjoy the Sabbath? Well, the deal was get up, go to church, come home, have lunch, and then be quiet. If you're going to play, you don't have to take a nap, but if you wake me up from mine, you have to. So my brother would often take the challenge to tackle me, hold me on the floor until he hurt me loud enough that I would cry out. And then from the room would be the voice, Douglas, go to your room. And he would laugh quietly to himself, point his finger at me as I had to go to the room, and he did. What a the joyful gift of the Sabbath. <laughs> oh, it, was, it, it simply became r- religious freedom for my parents to go, we're taking naps and you have to be quiet too. We just, we can rob of it its intent. So, you follow the logic? Here it is. You're saying it's unlawful to this. But most of what you're saying is lawful is what you made up. There's what I said. And even according to what I said, Old Testament law, there's exception. And you have taken what I've said and turned what I said to be a blessing and made it a burden. You follow the logic so far? That's great. But now he's about to turn everything on its head. 
Because the next thing he says is a game changer. Verse 28, so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Well, what the world does that mean? Well, who's the Son of Man? Jesus. So Jesus is saying of himself, I am Lord even of the Sabbath. What's that mean that he is Lord of the Sabbath? The Sabbath isn't for, the Sabbath is for man, not man for the Sabbath. So it's a gift to man, but I am bigger than the, I am Lord over, I am greater than the Sabbath serves me. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. So would you agree, yes or no, Jesus is greater than the Sabbath? Yes? Yes or no? Jesus is greater than the, right? You agree? Why? Because he said it. <laughs> I, I don't. See, this, this is the challenge. All of us would, would likely agree Jesus is greater than the Sabbath. That sounds right because he's Jesus. But we're not really sure why he says he is Lord of the Sabbath. And how does this relate to new wine and new wineskins? So let me help you. When Paul writes to the church in Colossae, he says this. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival, a a holy Jewish day, or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Well, what do you mean no one's supposed to judge what I do on the Sabbath? That's what we've been doing. No work. And work's defined as this. We do judge what people do and what people don't do on the Sabbath. You probably do. Man, look at all our neighbors mowing the grass on Sunday. It's what we do. But, But Paul says, we don't do that. Why not? Things, what's he mean? Well, he just named them including the Sabbath, food, drink, festivals, new moon, Sabbath day, things, oh, I went backwards, sorry, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. You understand? Which is greater, the substance or the shadow of the substance? Is that hard? If you're confused about that, either choose to get run over by the shadow of a truck or a truck. (laughs) And you'll suddenly realize which is greater. Now, is the shadow valuable? Yeah. Oh, that shows me that the substance exists. So the shadow has a purpose, but it only has a limited purpose. And the purpose disappears when you know the substance. All these practices including the Sabbath day, were practices of a shadow that Jesus says, I'm the substance now. Why are your disciples doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Well, first of all, it's only unlawful according to what you wrote, not what I wrote. Number two, it's You're missing the fact that there were exceptions. Number three, you guys have long lost the fact that 
What? This was a gift, not a burden. And now you're missing the fact that it was simply a shadow and the substance is where? Here and now because I am it. If you're not following Old Testament religious practices were shadows that prepared for the substance to come. Who is? Jesus. Jesus is the substance. And because, using the analogy that we read in verse 22, launching us this morning, he is the new wine. And as the new wine, he cannot be contained by the old wineskins of Old Testament religious practices. He's not dismissing them. He's not saying that they were horrible. He was simply saying they served a purpose, but that purpose is no more because I am here. The shadow is done because the substance has come. It was great, but now I am here. You follow that? And so Jesus is saying... uh, Not only is it not unlawful according to the Old Testament, and you're missing that God made exceptions, and you're missing the blessing of the Sabbath, that was all shadow, and you're lost in it. There is new wine, and therefore, new wine can only be contained by new wineskins. God's rest is now found in the person of Jesus, not in a particular day. It's not found in a particular day. It's a person. The substance has replaced the shadow. Now remember, this is the abiding principle. So let me show you to put together, uh, in case you missed last week, this weekend and last week together. There was the old wine and the old wineskins. By the tithe, by the sacred building that that God's presence was in a particular place and, and you would go to that place where the presence of God would dwell, the tabernacle and then the temple. And then the sacred day. But they were the old, that's the old wine, the Old Testament law held in the wineskins of these religious practices. Jesus says there is now new wine. I am that new wine. And therefore, there must be new wineskins. Which is greater? The shadow or the substance? The substance. Therefore, I, watch this, I, Jesus, cannot be contained by a 10% tithe. Why not? Well, just think about that expression. When we think about the 10% tithe, we think, well, that is the Lord's money. Well, if that is the Lord's money, then what do we necessarily think about the rest of our money? That's our money. That's his money, and this is our money. And so we don't want to rob the Lord of his money. We need to give him his 10%, but then we're free with our 90%. Jesus says, no, 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 no. That was a shadow. I'm the substance. The substance is greater than the shadow. 
what are you thinking about? You have the Lord's money and then you have your money. Whose is it? It's all his money, 100% of it. That's why I am accountable now as a steward for not only what I give, but what I spend, what I share, what I save. I'm accountable for all because the substance is greater than the shadow. The sacred building, no, that my body is now the temple of the Holy Spirit. So it's not that, it's not that I can do whatever I want with my body, but then get dressed up and cleaned up and go to church to be in the presence of the Lord. His presence is in me wherever I go, whether it's public or private. He lives in me. So what about the sacred day? Can you fill in? What, what, what are you going to write over here? If the substance is greater than the shadow, every day is his day. It, it almost sounds funny to us now. Oh, well, let me ask you a question. What day is the Lord's day? No, 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 don't answer after everything we've talked. If I were to ask you yesterday, what day is the Lord's day, what would have most of us replied with? Sunday is the Lord's day, which makes Saturday my day. Monday through Friday are my days, and Sunday is the Lord's day, which is why we get comfortable with saying, I can do what I want throughout the week as long as I go to church on Sunday because it's only bad if I start skipping church and taking his day away from him. Oh, that's absurd. Really? Sunday is his day and the rest of the week is my days? That's the thought and how you can get drunk on Saturday night and be okay by coming to church on Sunday. That's how you can live your life for your career Monday through Saturday, and it's okay as long as I go to church on Sunday, because that's, I am honoring the Lord by his day. It doesn't even make sense when we recognize that the Lord's day is what day? Every day. And this is his body, and all that I have is his, the shadow Nothing taken away from it. And the practices that went with it, nothing taken away with it. Except, once the substances come, there's new wine, and new wine requires new wineskins. Otherwise, it'll burst because it can't contain. Jesus is greater than a day, a building, and 10% of your resources. He is everything. I'm Lord of the Sabbath. Now, let me ask you, oh man, am I out of minutes? But I got to answer this question real quick. Because uh, so, uh, a couple of people asked me after first hour, and I probably wasn't clear enough. Okay, if we follow the other Ten Commandments, how is it that we get to punt the fourth one? And so let me answer that question for you. I encourage you, I challenge you to do this. Take a piece of paper, write out the Ten Commandments on the left column. 
Then take your New Testament and read through every letter that is written to all the different churches in the New Testament. And when you come across in one of those letters a verse that repeats one of the Ten Commandments, just write the verse there. And by the time you finish, here's what your paper is going to look like. You're going to have multiple repeats of every one of the Ten Commandments except the fourth. Oh, so the Sabbath doesn't matter. (laughs) It's not that you got a day back. It's that you lost the other six. Because what you'll see repeated over and over in every New Testament letter is whatever you do, whenever you do it, as unto the Lord. See, the Sabbath is holy. It's just not limited to a day anymore. It's a life. You follow that? Not robbing you of the Sabbath. I want to I keep the Sabbath. Great. Every day? That's the point. So you're not limited. If we were limited, you know what? We couldn't do Thursday night service here at the chapel. Because it wouldn't count. I mean, we could do the service, but it wouldn't count because it wasn't Sunday. And honestly, that's been a wrestling. Some have come, my wife included, on Thursday night. And she's like, man, I love it, but then it's so weird on Sunday. It's like I'm doing something wrong staying at home on Sunday. And so she, she, she came Thursday night, but she was, she's here this morning. She doesn't come listen to me again, which is wrong. But she stays out and she, she says, I just like the people I want to visit with. I want to have community and connection. So she comes back on Sunday for meeting with folks. But did Thursday night count? No, did it? Why? Because it belongs to the Lord as much as Sunday morning. So here's the reality. Many of you will go to lunch after this. And you'll meet people who couldn't serve, who couldn't worship this morning because they were serving you. So here's what I hope you'll do. I hope on your way out, you'll grab at least one of these invitations to Thursday night. And you'll simply say, thank you for serving. Maybe because you were serving, you couldn't attend worship this morning. You could on Thursday night. It's right here in Mandarin. And give them an invitation. Now, Be clear, this is not a tip. In fact, if you're not going to give a tip, please don't leave an invitation. We we have reputations and it ain't good. So thank them with a tip and then thank them and say, you made a sacrifice. And then they go, oh, really? You can do church on Sunday? Absolutely. Jesus is a lot bigger than Sunday morning. It's what our world needs to know. See, we're not following culture. We're not bound. But we are ministering to culture where many folks who always used to have off on Sunday don't have off on Sunday anymore. Every Thursday night, we've met lots of folks who can't go to church on Sunday, and they've joined us. And you know how every one of them that I've met so far has found out about it? No. I mean, anybody who came because of one of these, it's only been the sign. 
which is great if you drive by our church. But the vast majority of our city doesn't drive by our church. But you go throughout our city. So I'd simply, again, take a few. Uh, but a guy write me yesterday said, or Friday he wrote and said, I got to give out six yesterday. Once to the lady who gave me a coffee at Starbucks, once to the waitress who, one to waitress who waited on me at Beach's uh, Diner, and then four to four guys who work moonlighting on the weekend to make extra money. And so I was glad to say, hey, I know you're working weekends. Here would be an option for you to work on weekends and still engage in worshiping God. So get one or two or five if you'll use them. And let's invite. All right, we're over. All you need to know is finally this. One person, Paul writes, regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Some old wineskin, some new wineskin, right? Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. But here's the key. Fully convinced of what? He who observes the day observes it for the Lord. He eats, does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who eats not for the Lord, he does not eat and gives thanks to God. So it's fully convinced of what? Of whatever I do, whether I eat or don't eat, what I do on Sunday or what I don't do on Sunday, the key question is not what I do, but who I do it for. For not one of us lives for himself, correct? No, that's wrong. That's the ought. Many of us live for ourselves. This is what needs to change. It intended that we would not live for ourselves. Not one dies for himself. For if we live, we are to live for the Lord. If we die, we are to die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, whether we mow the grass or don't mow the grass, whether we worship on Sunday morning or Thursday night, we are the Lord's. So the critical question is, or excuse me, that as we introduce the new, he says the day of rest is now a matter of personal conviction, not Old Testament command. It's a matter of personal conviction. Whatever you do, make sure you do it for the Lord. So the critical question is not what do you do on Sunday? That's what we've been lost in for years. What do you do on Sunday? Do you do that on Sunday? What do you do? That's not the question. What's the question? Who do you live for every day? That's the lifelong question right there. So, Father, I pray that you would grow us to be people who live every day for you, who work for you, worship for you, rest for you. Whatever we do, we do it for you because we belong to you. You are the substance of our faith. Thank you for the clarity of your scripture. And I pray that you would grow us into the measure of the stature, fullness of Christ, your Savior, our Savior, your Son. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So you go this morning. I want to remind you, it's always our privilege to pray for you and with you. If you'd like prayer, there's men and women available. We have a guest reception this morning. If you're new to CFC, we have not had a chance to meet. It's always fun to meet some new folks. Myself and other pastors will be out at this gazebo here. If you'd give us a minute and stop by, we'd love to meet you. Next week, we'll look at one more occasion of the Sabbath. Hope to see you. God bless.